Well, Webflow, this is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Gail Goodman. Gail, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. All right, let's go. Gail is the phone teacher. She's training financial advisors on how to schedule initial appointments with new prospects and develop actual professional practices instead of just pounding the phones day in and day out. Gail, I'm so excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, why you do what you do. Interesting, you should ask me my why, because I just got asked that yesterday by a class. It seems to be a trend that I think is very helpful and thoughtful in that why do you do what you do is a great way to help you get out of bed every day and keep going, especially if you're in sales. And my why goes back to when I trained, when I learned how to become a salesperson, because I left being an occupational therapist. I was a psychiatric occupational therapist by education did that for a few years and realized I I really didn't like psychiatrists. No problem with the patients, big problem with the staff. So I quit, ended up in sales as many of us do. And I didn't know what I was doing. The woman who hired me said to me, literally, you have a sales personality, whatever the heck that is. But I didn't have any training. So after wasting about 20 to 30 leads for her, going on appointments and not having anything happen. By the way, this was the first kitchen refacing company in America. Hmm. This is a long time ago when people didn't know what refacing was. And she finally bit the bullet under much duress from her supervisor. And she flew me to Pittsburgh where I met, met the man who became my long-term mentor. And he trained me how to sell. He, he was selling kitchens morning, noon, and night because Pittsburgh at the time was a shift town. So I spent four really tiring days going out on many appointments. And then at 11 o'clock at night, this night owl would sit and then train me on what I saw. So I was mildly exhausted, but I got it. I remember going to the airport like it was yesterday, going to a pay phone and calling him. This is very old, obviously. And just whispering on the phone to him when he picked up, hey, I got it. And he said, I know you did. And then I knew how to sell. After doing that, he encouraged the owner of the company to make me the trainer. And when I left that company after seven or eight years, I started my own practice because people didn't know how to make phone calls. There's a lot of marketing, a lot of marketing people who do consulting. There are a lot of sales and sales trainers that do consulting. There are no phone teachers. And that's how I became a phone teacher, because every operation in the company had a phone room that set up the appointments. Salespeople only went on confirmed appointments with directions because there was no GPS. And so when I came out of that company, and was coaching a friend on her own phone. And she said to me, you know, this is marketable. People don't teach this. And that's how I became the phone teacher. And the reason I ended up working so much in financial services is essentially because they responded most positively to me and believe in training. So a lot of times advisors who say to me, oh, you should call my ex-boss from such and such an industry, frequently they don't have the resources towards training that this industry invests in. And the good news, which is when I teach people how to target market, you have to pick a market that you like. I even said to my group yesterday, can you imagine if I didn't like financial advisors, what my life would be like? I spend every day of my life talking to them, thinking about them, worrying about them. And I'm very lucky. My group is smart, outgoing, charming, talkative, funny people. 
I love who I work with. So I've been very, very lucky in how my consulting practice developed. On a personal note, um, my husband and I live on a beautiful 50-acre farm outside the beautiful city of Nashville. And we moved from New York, we have, where we had a four-acre farm, and we knew we were never going to retire there. My husband has technically retired, though he works a lot harder now because our farm has 17 horses. Hmm. So it's not exactly just me, Don, and a couple of equines. It's a pretty big operation. And I fly away and leave. And he takes care of the horses so and the people who own the horses. So we kind of have our own little community here because a barn is a community. And right now we're kind of perfect, but it's so beautiful here. And it was an emotional and geographical and financial decision to leave New York. And since I traveled all over the country, friends of mine, basically a, bit, a good friend from AIG, said, well, why did you look here? And I live here now in Tennessee, beautiful Tennessee. Excellent. So you still have a job. People are still using the telephone in sales. <laughs> I'll have a job the rest of my life because iPhones and Samsungs and whatever piece of rectangle that you own, because I call it my rectangle, um, it dominates our lives. You know, I, I'll tell you something funny. I thought I lost my phone in the airport yesterday. I reached into my coat pocket because I thought that's where I put it, though it was actually in my purse. And I really had a mild panic attack sure. in the ladies' room in the Providence airport because I couldn't find my phone. And the thought of not having it is like a mother losing her child in a department store. Is <laughs> that cold thing that happens when you realize the baby or the little toddler, they're usually toddlers, has decided to walk off on their own as they are wont to do. And that cold feeling you get over your body, which is I just lost my kid. I had that one. Yeah. Yeah. They are, uh, they are important parts of our lives, but from a sales perspective, uh, we, yeah. we, we were talking about how just there's been this downward ski slope of people that used to pick up their phone and then fewer people picked up their phone. And today, um, I imagine even fewer are. So when you're going into an organization, your 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 main challenges, I'm sure, are reluctance to even try to pick up the phone because people think nobody's going to pick it up, and not being as accustomed to phone calls as we used to be. Mm -hmm. What 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 are some of these challenges? Well, you're kind of stepping on one of my nerves here with golf shoes because we have become super digital. And I'm as digital to a certain degree as other people, but really not as much. One, because of my age and how I grew up. And I realized, you know, it's the beginning of a new year and I walked into a group that I know. And the way I introduced my workshop, I do this to myself a lot, is something came out of my mouth. And later on, I said, that was a good idea. And what I said to them is, I'm going to teach you how to talk today. Talking is important when you're in sales. And I'm going to teach you three different ways to talk. One is on the phone. One is at a networking or social event where you might either deliberately or accidentally meet somebody who makes your eyes glimmer. And the third is how to call the people that you know about your new career. And I realized that as a talking person and a teacher who teaches talking, the digitalization of human communication irritates me terribly. And there are generational differences that I have to 
maintain a professional demeanor around. And then when I'm not the teacher in front of the room and I'm with friends or some clients who I can speak honestly to, there's a real problem in this industry because the younger people coming in have digitalized relationships in a way that I think not just are offensive, but because it's a high trust business, I think they're ineffective. You can't have the same marketing ideas about a career where you ask people, give me your money, I'm going to take care of it. It's huge. So there are three things, three parts of your life where you need to have high trust in the person that's providing a service. One is around your health, you know, doctors, nurses, and people like that. Anything around your children, teachers, camp counselors, babysitters. And the third is around your money which is the industry I work in. And I feel like sometimes I'm yelling into a canyon when I say to them, your ability to communicate effectively with your big boy words or big girl words is important because words have emotional impact. They don't have that impact when you do them digitally. And it's a huge argument. And by the way, the contact rate in 1988 in the financial services business, if you dialed out, it's about 45%, and now it's closer to 10, just to give you numbers. And so the argument is uh, the younger generation says, no, I'm not picking up the phone because they don't want to talk to me via the phone. This is just how we communicate. And you say, no, this is a high trust business, and your effectiveness demands that you connect in a more human way than a message. Digital communication has no inflection. There is not a single person I have met in my lifetime in any of my seminars or any kind of interpersonal relationship where they didn't get a text that they misinterpreted or they sent a text that got misinterpreted and almost destroyed a relationship. Now you're trying to build one based on a communication that has no inflection behind it. Listen to the way I'm even saying that. You can hear my horror at the way they think. So here, you'll love this story, George. Somebody came up to me a couple of years ago in Philadelphia um, and said, God, Gail, I love your scripts. I said, I'm so glad. He said, they're really great for me. I'm texting them to everybody. <laughs> it took everything in my body to not choke this kid and say, what the heck are you doing? And I was horrified. And the other factor, which is really a big, big issue, we went through this for 20 minutes yesterday, texting is a highly controlled business in financial services, mm. because I don't know if you're aware of this, but FINRA is going nuts with fines, huge fines, millions and millions of dollars of fines. So texting is such a controlled substance now that if you're caught illegally using it, you could lose your license and your company can get a bankrupting type of fine. So I had to be very strict with them. And then, of course, my client, who is the agency manager, came in and he's on the compliance committee as well. The truth is that the way that this industry is getting around it, which I think is fine, is there is an app they can buy, which gives everybody another phone number, which is their texting phone number. So you have an office number, your personal cell number, and now a textable number, and everything goes through something similar to when your email is getting watched. 
So that'll alleviate all of that. But there is this period with this particular company where they haven't bought the app, whereas some of my other companies have. And the neurosis around this is at an all time high because these fines are getting scary. That's really interesting. It's a whole nother layer to uh, to to this challenge. So you can probably have, and I'm sure that you do, have a fruitful conversation with some folks in the younger generation that says, I don't want to do this. You explain in a way that I imagine it clicks for them. Okay, you're right. You know, I have had, you know, horrible miscommunications via email or text or whatever. Does that still then get them to pick up the phone or is there additional work that that somebody needs to do to get themselves comfortable with picking up the phone from a attitude and a belief standpoint? Obviously, they 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 need the right language and skills. Tell me a little bit about that. It does rely more on the language and skills than anything else, because the industry has a horrible word. It's a phrase that I, I have told all of my managers, there's no such thing. And it's a psychological disease called, called reluctance. Mm. Everybody is very addicted to this phrase in this industry, managers in particular of a particular age, which is closer to mine than my rookies. And I have chided them, one, because I used to work in psychiatry and there's no such thing. So like, really? This industry made something up. And second, it labels somebody as defective when either I am a miraculous curer or they're wrong a or b because too many people walk out without call reluctance after a seminar with me or an hour with me or i say well here's a better script they go oh i could say this because the challenge for me which also keeps me in business is the minutia of good words is everything in the beginning of the financial process how I get you to accept an appointment with me is everything. But the industry rightfully has to spend a lot of time on how to actually be a financial advisor. And my slightly sarcastic comment is, well, they have to pay my toll before they could cross the bridge. All you have now is a bunch of licensed people doing nothing if they don't learn what I teach, which is to get the first appointment. I have nothing to do with them the minute they have a confirmed first appointment. So when I go to an agency where they say, well, we're setting appointments, but they're not confirming, that's certainly different than people saying they're not getting on the phone at all, but it's all language. So if the confirming is very low, they're doing a lot of pushing with people who don't really want the appointment. So they're doing almost an over-talented linguistic trapeze artist thing and getting the people to go, oh, and say yes. And the minute they hang up, they go, I don't really want to do this. So it's all language. And that is what starts the ball rolling. And they have to be good at what I do. You have to know how to ask a person to trust you enough to give you an appointment. Here's the kicker. And we talked about this a lot yesterday. The overriding problem with this industry, and nobody's a bigger fan than me, is that in America, it is not socially acceptable to talk about money. We don't talk about money. We are a financially illiterate country. We have kids going to college who have debt that don't know what compounded interest is. The reason I know is because we have equine studies, MTSU people that work at our barn, and I talk to them, and you know, some of them have debt, and then I get interested in that, and I find out they don't really know what it means to be in debt. 
They don't have financial intelligence. And we're not working at that as Americans. And if you're my nephew and now you're an advisor and I'm a generation older, I may say no to you because I don't want you to know how much money I make. Here's an interesting fact. Nobody in America makes the right amount of money. Either I make too much and I don't want you to know, or I make too little and I don't want you to know. Mm. In either case, I don't want you to know what I make. That's a very common phenomenon. That's not call reluctance. That's a problem in our culture that my rookies have to overcome. Well, I think that that's really, really powerful right there. And, and and it certainly makes sense to me. I have heard that term call reluctance throughout the course of my career, certainly. And that the industry made it up is is both amusing and it certainly makes sense. Having the right language is is the antidote an, antidote to this made up affliction of call reluctance. Mm-hmm. It's a natural thing that if I don't know how to do something, why would I be comfortable doing it? If I've never done it before, why would I all of a sudden be okay trying to do something? But once I'm I know, golf reluctant. Did you know that? I'm golf reluctant. You're <laughs> apparently. I don't know how to play golf. I don't want to play golf. If you ask me to go on a golf, you know, round, I'm like, I don't want to do that. And there are people that are horseback riding reluctant. And then there are people that are ski reluctant. I mean, come on. It's just call reluctance is just a crutch for managers to put the blame on the psycho the psychology of their recruit or their agent or their advisor. And I'm like, uh, doctor, heal thyself. Like you're not teaching them. What the heck do you expect? It really angers me, as you can tell. This is really a problem. And I fight it every day. I feel a little like Don Quixote with my freak flag. I have the horse. Might as well use that image. So, you know, I'm like waving my freak flag saying, please treat everybody as if they know nothing and you have to train them. They don't walk in knowing how to use the phone. They may not have to talk on the phone to their girlfriends or their parents. They don't know how to do this. I'm confident that there are probably other people that exist on earth that do something similar to what you do, although I'm not aware of them. And you and I were able to work together years and years and years ago, and you're still leading the industry. Why is that, Gail? I don't know, but many years ago, believe it or not, there was another person whose last name also was Goodman. So people (laughs) thought we were related and he was somewhat teaching phone skills as well. And there was another person who, even though we were professional friends and we would see each other at Gamma meetings, um, when I used to go to those conferences, he talked about the 16 kinds of call reluctance. So he was taking something that I'm trying to say doesn't exist and he blew it up into, well, if you want to be psychological about it, pick one of the 16 and I'll tell you how to cure it. So we're coming at the same problem from completely different you know, ideas. And yet I didn't care if he was able to cure it. That's fine with me. If I'm able to say it's all language here, try this script. I mean, I had a very remarkable experience many, many years ago when I was working with the State Farm Group. And this woman was like really terrified of calling and not getting good results. And her manager, her agent was mad at her. She was a team member. I said, here, use this script. Made a call, came back two minutes later, eyes wide as could be. And she went, oh, my God, it works. Her whole attitude was different. I said, keep using it. It's fine. Yeah, keep doing that. So that I've seen 
my miracle working, if you want to call it that, because here's another, tell, I told this story yesterday, people having to say, how are you for 20 minutes in the South doesn't have to exist. Had a fight with somebody in New Orleans. At that point, I was still living in New York. So I wrangled her and I said, look, I spent all this money flying here from New York. You're going to do what I said for one call. And what I teach people to say, especially in the South, instead of me saying, hey, Georgia Scale, how are you doing? How's your mama? Blah, blah, blah. And then we go on and on for 20 minutes. And then maybe I get an appointment at the end. That's an ineffective use of your time. So I said, Tiffany, you're going to do what I say. And you're going to have a two minute call. And she fought with me. I said, one call, Tiffany, do it for me. I flew here. And what I teach now is, hey, Georgia Scale. I don't like, hey, I'd say, hello, Georgia Scale Goodman. I'm calling for two reasons. And I will ask you a specific question about your personal life, not how are you, which is global, but is Amanda enjoying college or, some, or did Tommy's baseball team win the league, blah, blah, blah. One question about one part of your life, because I know you well. And because I told you you have two agendas, you're actually going to answer me in a more brief way. She did not believe me, did her first two-minute call, got the appointment, and came back to me with the biggest startled blue eyes you've ever seen in your life. She was a beautiful young lady. And she went, oh, my God. I went, yeah. <laughs> See, words are magic. Words are magic. And she was sticking to the Southern, which I now know, how you doing, and letting the person talk, which was an ineffective use of her professional time. That's what I teach. I love it. Well, Gail, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? Just go to my website, which is phoneteacher.com. All my information is there. All the seminars and workshops and coaching that I offer are there. Or if you think you want to call me and your heart won't be beating too hard, (laughs) because a lot of people say I'm afraid to call you. My phone number is on my website. and You can just call me. I love it. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Gail your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to phoneteacher.com and check out other great resources. If you are within a financial organization of some kind that has representatives that are attempting to set appointments, well, Gail is your person. If you would like those representatives to set more appointments and be happier in what they do and more productive and more efficient and all those things. So again, phoneteacher.com. Thanks again, Gail. Thanks, George. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.